Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Empathy Podcast. My name's Leanne Butterworth. Today, we are talking to Graham, Tom, and Stephen Lee about empathy and firefighters. I've been looking forward to this one for a very long time. I mean, I have a nine-year-old boy, so who doesn't love a firefighter? But Graham is a retired firefighter and speaker who aims to improve the mental health of firefighters and especially retired firefighters. And Stephen Lee is currently a senior firefighter, both of whom are based in Brisbane. So today we're talking about the mental health of firefighters, what the public can do to better support our fireys, as well as what fireys can do to better support themselves and their peers. So we'll learn a bit about the experience of a firefighter. Today, we are lucky enough to be speaking with Stephen Lee and Graham Tom, who are both Brisbane firefighters. And I'm very, very excited today because I have a bit of a soft spot for firefighters, um, as I'm sure all the middle-aged mothers do. But (laughs) what we're going to talk about today is empathy and mental health in firefighters. Now, we've got two different perspectives today. We've got Graham, who is a retired firefighter, and Stephen, who's a senior firefighter. So welcome, gentlemen, to the Professional Empathy Podcast. Thank you. you. Let's start with the good stuff. Let's start with the good stuff of why you guys became firefighters in the first place. Well, mine came about, Leanne, simply I came over from New Zealand looking for work in Australia. And I was in the city. I walked over the Story Bridge. I looked down into the Kent Place Fire Station, seen all these firefighters doing wonderful stuff, spraying water around, climbing up ladders, having an absolute ball. And I walked down into the fire station and said, how do I get to do this? And they told me how I got to do it. I joined straight away pretty much. Yeah, wow. So how long ago? How many years, sorry? 41. 41 years. Okay. So that's how long you were in the fire service? Yes. Yeah, wow. Okay. Kent Place is lovely. I love the big tower. So you sort of went in bright-eyed. You saw the shiny got hoses and we got cool stuff and the guys all look like they're having fun. I went, I went in on that. Stephen, what about you? What brought you in? Well, I guess, it, you know, as a young kid, you see the movies and that sort of thing. So that sort of plants a bit of a seed. But I, I left school and ended up working in television. Yep. And I was a news cameraman for 10 years at Channel 7 and I was doing all sorts of things on the side but I guess I went to that many stories where the fireys were doing their thing that I sort of thought oh that looks like a pretty interesting job and um, as a cameraman you get to see lots of things but you don't get to sort of participate in so many things so so yeah you get to observe the action as opposed to being in the action so I decided to have a crack at the, the fireys so that yeah have a better chance of being in the action as opposed to just watching it. Gotcha. So did that make you sort of a mature age student as such when you came in or do a lot of fireys come no, in later? Yeah, a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of firefighters probably joined. Maybe I'm pulling the figure out of the, my head, yeah. but in that late, late 20s, okay. like sort of, I joined when I was 29, but you know, there have been guys who've joined. I was working with a, a guy the other day who was an ex-paramedic and he joined when he was 49. So, oh, wow. yeah, and then there's the other, the other end of the spectrum where there's guys who are you're getting quite young when they're like 21 or 22. And girls. And Um, girls, that's right, yeah. (laughs) They used to have a system, Leanne, where they, it was an informal system. I don't think it exists now, Steve, but it was an informal system where because um, they wanted firefighters to relate to the 
the people in the community and their issues, they actually preferred firefighters to come in not directly from school or not directly yeah, from the university, gotcha. but actually with a bit of life experience behind them so that they understood a little bit about life and the people that they would be dealing with as firefighters. So Steve would be a, a great case of you know having seen lots of things and done lots of things previously, but I think they've removed that kind of informal entrance criteria now. I think it's still there. You could quite easily now hop on the truck and have a next school teacher driving the truck and then there'd be, could, there'll be me in the back seat and then the other person in the back seat could be a um, ex-soldier who's done a couple of tours in Afghanistan and then the station officer might be you know, a former electrician. So yeah, there's a broad spectrum of past careers. What's the benefit of having that in such a specialised field? One benefit is everyone approaches something from a little bit of a different angle due to their their past. So, yeah, yeah, there's more than one way to sort of skin a cat of a job, so to speak. And if you've got all different types of brains looking at a a problem to solve, then it definitely helps with coming up with an answer. Because problem solving is a huge part of what you do. And it's quite hard to become a fiery at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's always been quite hard due to the fact that it's quite a popular job. But, yeah, there's a lot of hoops to jump through and a lot of hurdles to jump over to to get in there. Yeah, it's quite quite a process. So what is your favourite thing? What is, and what was your favourite thing, Graham? What was your favourite thing about being a fiery? My, my favourite thing, there were two favourite things, Leanne. Um, the first one was the people that you worked with, partly because of what Steve has just outlined, that there is such a broad range of types of people that join the fire service from such amazing backgrounds, like uh, Steve's background, that's quite an amazing background in itself. So the, the working with other people and with the firefighters, there's a great sense of camaraderie. Yep. Because you are living in each other's pockets, um, a lot of the time there's a great sense of camaraderie. And the other part of being a firefighter is that you get to do and see such an amazing range of different things. And that can all be in just one day. You can be looking at how they make ice cream in, a, in an ice cream factory, to then going to a car accident, to then literally rescuing a cat out of a tree, all in the one day. Or you can be sitting in the station and telling stories to each other about the fires that you've been to and, and absorbing history and learnings from each other, just sitting in the fire station having a cup of coffee. You know. It's an amazing yeah. job, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, I enjoy it. What's your favourite bit, Steve? Working with a big team of like-minded people can definitely yeah, be good fun. I've spent a lot of my career at Roma Street in the city, okay. so you've got 12 firefighters on shift at one time there. Yeah, there's always good times and there's yeah, a lot of banter, <laughs> banter goes on. But what, what I do enjoy about the, the job is when, um, when you arrive at the job and you've come up with a plan and you're implementing that plan and, and it starts to work, then you can sort of really enjoy it. When a job's in full flow and full motion, yeah, like whether it be a big fire or whatever, that yeah, that's quite exciting. But obviously these days being a firefighter is more than just fires and it's more than just car accidents. Also do the I've gone down the tech rescue stream as well, which incorporates the swift water rescue and yeah, um, right. urban, urban search and rescue. Yeah, it covers quite a variety of skills and which allows you to attend a variety of jobs. And I suppose that then gives you the opportunity to upskill and change departments and go and do different things for a little while and then come back. Is that right? Yeah, you still always have to be, everyone's still a firefighter all the time, even with those who have been pulled across to a desk job. 
they still they're still classified as operational firefighters at the truck level which i'm at i'm not in that management level you might work at a station that concentrates on the tech rescue aspect of the job so the swift water and the search and rescue urban search and rescue and yeah. vertical rescue that sort of thing that might be the main theme of that station but gotcha if there's a fire that happens around the street, they're all still called upon to be a firefighter or to help out at a car accident. Yeah, there's some stations that specialise in different parts of what the fire service does, but at the end of the day, everyone is still required to be able to work as a firefighter at anything. Tech rescue side of the Queensland Fire and Emergency Services is actually now recognised worldwide as one of the best uh, international teams of tech rescue people. Um, and our firefighters get deployed in many places around the world, particularly in the South Pacific area, but uh, you know, right into China and Japan, and such a high level of skill in those five areas. And why do you think that is? I think it's just something that Queensland's put a lot of effort into to really lift the skill level of those disciplines. Because, like what Graham said, there have been sent far and wide. But it was a few years ago now when Christchurch had its big earthquake. Yeah. But I went over there with a big team of urban search and rescue personnel to, to work over there. And when the cyclones hit and they're concerned about flash flooding, they'll pre-deploy people over there all around the state with the swift water skill set to yeah. help out. So then it would things like that require a high level, and I suppose normal jobs too, but that would require a high level of coordination with like the SES and the police and the, and the army and all those sorts of collaborations as well. When a big event happens or they know one's about to happen, like a cyclone's approaching, then the headquarters gets into full swing and they start organising different aspects of the emergency services. Particularly for those tech rescue when they go on the international deployments, there is a, a massive amount of not only integration but interoperability that's needed yep. at, at that uh, team level, but so that it can be deployed overseas. So each of the states, most of the states have tech rescue teams that they can deploy. And Australia has this rotational system that the states take turns at deploying people overseas, but if the issue is big enough, teams from each state or a number of states will be deployed. Hmm. And there is a massive amount of coordination. And right now we're undergoing the um, Bushfire and Natural Disaster Royal Commission. It's going to potentially restructure the head of power, the authority regime, right from uh, Commonwealth government, government right down, and it will impact to some degree on Steve riding on the big red truck and being part of that uh, tech rescue teams that get deployed for all of the different things that firefighters get deployed for these days. Yeah, gotcha. So then it seems to be for so many people that I'm, that I'm interviewing, number one is always people. If you work with good people, if you like who you're working for, then the work is easier to manage. It's easy, The bad stuff's easier to take on. But number one, it always comes back to people. And if you work with good people and for good people, what sort of things do you guys do to, I guess, build those relationships? Because you're with the same crew, the same shift, sort of A, B, C or D, week in, week out. What do you guys do to actually reinforce those teams, those relationships? Even though we all come from a variety of backgrounds, I think everyone's still got there's similar traits with their personalities. Pretty much all firefighters, guys and girls, 
we've all got a very similar sense of humour when it comes time for the little jokes around the station or the, at the mess room table when you're having lunch. It's, you know, we've all got a similar sense of humour and so our jokes are sort of all down the same line so we can all laugh at each other as well as laugh at ourselves. There's a lot of that banter that Steve was talking about. That's one of the great joys. It's one of the things I miss, Leanne, is uh, when you get a bunch of firings together, uh, male and female, with that common sense of humour and the banter between them. It, it's not only a binding process that occurs in that banter, it also makes it a joyful place, a happy place for people to actually go and work if they can be comfortable enough and free enough to have that banter, that particular banter that goes on between firefighters, even between the officers and the firefighters, there's, there's a camaraderie and a banter that goes on between that. So it's a binding and it's a joyful, you know, it makes it a joyous place to go and work. Yeah. Most firefighters love going to work. Almost. Oh, yeah. Every day, they love going to work. You know, for 40, 41 years, I love going to work pretty much. And I think you're living together. I mean, you're on day shifts and night shifts, but you're living together. You're cooking together. You're cleaning together. You're doing all of these things together. It's not like a normal nine to five where you've all got your own lives. You might come in and have a joke, but it's it's almost life and death that you have that camaraderie that you have that trust that you have that sense of team because when you're out there and correct me if I'm wrong but when you're out there you need to know that the person next to you you trust them implicitly is that right oh for sure yeah we we all we all have that banter and we all joke and when you're driving around in the truck just doing day-to-day things in the truck you're always having a good laugh but as soon as it becomes real and you're getting sent for something that could potentially be pretty serious that's when you sort of go into that to that zone of it's game time you know we have to be with our skills and be ready to to go we all play our role our individual role at those jobs but at the same time you have to know that the person that's supplying you water from the fire truck is you have to make sure you know you have to have trust in them that they're going to be giving you water because if you're inside a house and all of a sudden you run out of water, then that's mm. not a very very good situation to be in. Or even in a tra- training environment, if you're going over the edge of a small cliff on rope, you want to make sure that the person who tied the knot for that rope that you're dangling on, you know, that you, you have to have trust in them that they uh, did it correctly. So, yeah, we, we have fun, but when we're serious, we're serious and we all have to have that trust in each other that, um, we can all do our jobs that we have to do. Yeah, because that would then take away the stress of it to a certain degree. So then you can focus on what it is you need to focus on and not whether your rope's going to go or you're going to run out of water. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Yep, 100%. So then what are some of, because we talk about in the podcast, we talk about empathy and mental health and things like that. And we've sort of said that, so having a good team and having that trust can protect you from some of the bad stuff. What is some of the bad stuff? Like, what is it that you guys have to deal with on a daily basis that I guess makes it harder to love what it is that you do? Because you don't have to go into detail because I know there's some stuff. Oh, well, obviously when you attend an incident where someone's been severely injured or fatally injured and... That can be pretty nasty, not so much to say it might be a motor vehicle accident and it's just that person that's deceased and, and the crews, the ambos and the police and the that are there if it's a single vehicle. But it's when there's, uh, I think when there's relatives or okay. there's people that know that person there, so you've got to got a lot of grief going on at the same time, that's when it, it can be um, quite a sort of stressful environment. Some of the things that have occurred over the years as well, Leanne, um, 
and firefighters don't always find out what's going on in the lives of other firefighters at different fire stations as well. Although it's true that, say, at Roma Street Fire Station, where you might have 12 people, it used to be about 20 people, Steve, many years ago, but it's shrunk over the years, all living in each other's uh, pockets, so to speak. It doesn't necessarily mean that you know what's going on in the lives of other firefighters at other fire stations. So there is actually a great deal of empathy that is needed between firefighters because you never know what's going on in yeah, other sure. firefighters' lives. And just as an example of that, um, for me, as the fire commander in the, the Brisbane region for a while, the Brisbane zone for a while, quite a while, finding out many years later that the very first fire that one of the young firefighters went to where two young children mm. were killed in an, in an accident, that he had two young children exactly that same age. And I didn't yeah. know that at the time. Yeah. And not, neither did the officer on the shift at the time either. But what that kind of situation means is that firefighters have to have a lot of empathy for each other because the situations that they face, the circumstances that they come across could be affecting them quite strongly in their own personal life as well. Right yeah. from day one, as was the case with this young firefighter, starting on his first day pretty much at that outstation, that small station. As much as we think of the incident and the firefighter might be traumatic, it could be the life experience that the firefighter brings in or the people standing around that incident or the friends and the family or even perhaps the media attention would then contribute to... Do you guys look at the media around particular jobs or do you shut it out? Uh, usually they're at a bit of a distance, I guess, they're not sort of right in there and amongst it. Yeah, so, I mean... You've got really great experiences here too, Steve, of being on... You know, and I hadn't realised that <laughs> to full extent until we started this interview as well. You, you yeah, I mean... on both sides of this, so that's really interesting. I mean, there's, all, there's definitely um, examples of the media where they've pushed the boundaries way too far and I think a lot of people that work in the media get embarrassed when they... <clears throat> see their colleagues behave in a way that for some reason, yeah, they push the boundaries and I guess don't really think of others when they're trying mm. to get a scoop or whatever and that tarnishes everyone with that the same brush. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It reminds me, Steve, when, when I was a young firefighter just starting out pretty much, we turned out to a house fire and <laughs> there was a baby inside, oh still inside, and so... I was crawling down the passageway, not wearing breathing apparatus on this occasion because we'd arrived and no, no order to wear breathing apparatus. Yeah. You didn't put breathing apparatus on unless you were told to pretty much when I first joined. So crawling along this passageway, going into the different rooms, put my head up, started going into the smoke layer and started coughing started coughing more and then stood up to try and get out of the house as quick as I possibly could instead of staying down. So I was getting more and more smoke. I came out onto the front veranda, leaned over the front veranda and I'm throwing up. Oh, no. <laughs> and right in front of me, I won't say which channel because it was... Oh, it was no. Dust, was this TV camera with the big bright lights. Uh, <laughs> throwing up over. The media can be right in your face sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but the other side is with their, their lights, they can actually help as well. So yeah. <laughs> so what about on the flip side then? So I know of a firefighter who said he will not look at reports about a job. So 
for example, he had a one of his worst jobs. He said it got a lot of media coverage, but he would not look at that because he had to shut it off in his mind and move on because if he thought of it, it would, I guess, inhibit his further jobs or it would distract him or it would traumatise him more. So he kind of had to say, no, 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 I can't look at the media coverage about that particular job. Do you guys find that is useful? Yeah, I'd say there's probably some firefighters that are the same. I know there's like some of the ex-military guys that are in the job who've been over in the Middle East. They, you know, they probably wouldn't sit down and watch a documentary about where they've been. Yeah, sort of look ahead I guess for some it could quite easily stir up some busy thoughts. There's actually another issue there as well Leanne and as much as um, I don't know whether you went to this incident Steve tell me if you did um, and if you want to keep talking about it. Some years ago there was an incident where a young overseas student was on her way to university I think on a push bike going around a corner were you at this one Steve? No, is it, love, yeah, I, I know the one you're talking about. I, I, I wasn't working that day, yeah. A large truck, articulated semi-trailer truck, came around the corner and caught the young girl. And, and she died, and it wasn't a pretty sight. It was a horrible sight. But what it meant was that the crews had to be on that location for quite a period of time. And although the police cordoned off the area, and this is the job of the media, but it also makes it difficult for firefighters in these sorts of circumstances and others, but on this occasion particularly for firefighters, they had been there on site for quite some period of time. So two things were happening with the media. Helicopter over above, uh, TV crews back past the cordon. Mm. That young woman actually had her family back in her own home country. But the media was flowing throughout the media process, both local and international. So in that country, there were issues going on with the media and the parents. The potential was there for the parents to find out about what had happened to her daughter before any any notification even. Um, So we had that issue that was going on, how you manage that from a media (laughs) point of view, the police and the fireys and the ambulance managing that to some extent. You also then have the issue of those fire crews having to be there for a very long time. Now, they're dealing with an incredibly traumatic situation, as you can imagine. We were actually waiting for the coroner, mm. um, and they're working with the coroner when they arrived, or not the coroner, but the, um, the people that deal with those sorts of things. And the fire crews around the fire plants, to the side of the fire plants, but still in line of sight of the TV cameras, start to talk amongst themselves and they can't be sad and bad all of the time about that incident. So because they've been there for a very long period of time, they start to talk about other issues and they might even be joking amongst themselves about something totally unrelated, but if it's picked up by TV cameras, um, it just it's not a good look. And yeah, so gotcha. it's one of those issues for the fire crews, they've got to be aware of that, that the media could still be watching but also the human beings as well. So there's got to be some yeah. empathy for each other and all that sort of side of things as well. It's quite difficult sometimes at a long job. Yeah. So what sort of things are the, I mean, let's say Queensland fire because that's where you guys are. What sort of things are in place at the moment to take care of mental health? So after you come off 
jobs, big, small, because you also never know. You could be in the middle of a phone call and don't know if you're going to a job like that or a cat and tree or you don't know. You've got that sort of level of uncertainty throughout your day. Once you come off a job, what sort of things are in place at the moment to take care of mental health? Like, is it a priority for fireys? Is it something that we just sort of sweep under the rug and go, "Eh, I'm tough, I'll deal with anything? What sort of things are happening at the moment in that space? Well, if you were to go to a nasty incident now, they'll quite often on site, quite often might do what they call like a hot debrief where they sort of get all the crews in that were there, have a quick chat about the job. That's usually led by a higher ranking person if they're on site. And we'll discuss that, that, yeah, it might have been pretty nasty and it doesn't sort of just finish now. If, if, if anyone would like to or needs to at a later date, you can utilise, we have what's called fire care. You can sort of go down that path if you like. And so fire care is the professionals or fire care is the peers? What's fire? It's, it's more of a peer support okay. type thing, but gives you access to professionals if required, I believe. I haven't gone down that path myself but yeah it's there are steps in place and I think I think around the station or firefighters these days I guess mental health has got a little bit more people are more aware of it these days I think back in Graham's early career it probably wouldn't have been spoken about as much but I think these days everyone is pretty aware that people can have issues resulting from working in the job and it's don't think the stigma's there as much anymore as if you wanted to talk about those issues or you, you know if you admitted if you put your hand up and said yeah that affected me I don't think anyone would see that as a bad thing whatsoever I think I'm sure there's room for improvement but people are moving in that direction that it's you know it's fine to talk about and it's fine to get help about it yeah it's better to get help about it now better to get help with something now rather than let it become a bigger issue on yeah. the track. What about in, in your day, Graham? Was it sort of, no, no, I can deal with it? Like if somebody said, I'm not coping or I'm struggling, what would have been the reaction? It most likely wouldn't have been a good reaction from two perspectives. The first would be from fellow firefighters because it was when I joined pretty much an era of, you know, toughen up um, and get on with the job, but also from the hierarchy as well. Um, you, you would have been stigmatised, although there would have been some firefighters that would have been empathetic towards your circumstances. But also bearing in mind that coming out of the era of uh, the post-Second World War, post-Korea, post-Malaysia, a whole lot of military uh, uh, events that Australia had been involved in. So the firefighters coming in into that system were coming out of some of those battleground experiences. Um, and because Although they suffered post-traumatic stress disorder, it wasn't, you know, it might have been shell shock or something, but it wasn't addressed well enough and it wasn't recognised if it was addressed at all. Mm. And so a lot of the firefighters were in that era of, you know, just toughen up, be a man, go and eat mm. the smoke, um, you know, stop crying in the corner kind of an issue, which is quite tragic mm. when you think about it. And I think uh, from my experience, Leanne, having now connected and continue to connect with a whole lot of firefighters post retirement, the issues that they are hanging on to is quite dangerous and quite traumatic for them still. And some of them, that's 20 years after they've left the fire service. The accumulation of those incidents and the straw that can break the camel's back sometimes breaks post-retirement, not during the retirement. So for the younger guys and girls, Steve and the others, what they've got now 
is you know, streets ahead and it's wonderful to see it because it does affect. I mean, you just talk to all the retired firefighters. It's cumulative and it does affect. So then for the, the retired firefighters, not only have they lost that sense of camaraderie, the team, the support, the having purpose, but they've also then now dealing with 20, 50 years of muck that hasn't been dealt with that they then haven't got the emotional resilience or fortitude or skills to deal with. So not only do they not have their team, but they're also dealing with a lot of accumulated muck that hasn't been dealt with along the way. So what sort of things are you doing in that space for the retired fireys, Graham? Formally, there's not a lot around. There is still post-retirement some opportunity to use the fire care services that Steve mentioned back into the fire service, but there's a, a, a limit to that process. A couple of the retired, there is a retired firefighters association in most states, including Queensland, but there is also informal gatherings um, for retired firefighters that get together. And that's one of the things that Steve was talking about earlier on as well, where they just simply get together and they talk through their issues. Um, and so at least they can get back together again and bond on the issue, because you're quite right, they separate out many of them. And until we had that, um, that getting together for an informal coffee catch-up, they were isolated and alone and, and suffering uh, a lot of the time out there by themselves, or with their families and with their families. Um, mm. It's interesting to note that the Senate has now recognised the stress that frontline emergency service responders have gone through and are going through, so they've put some funding towards it. There's some new legislation coming out about it. And coming out again from the uh, recent bushfires, um, the, through some endeavours of a whole range of key people, there's been additional funding provided for mental health of frontline responders, police, fire, AMBOs, CCS. So that's really good to hear as well. Yeah. So then what are the benefits of, I mean, we talk about long-term benefits with the retired guys, but Steve, what are the benefits at the moment for you guys on the job and for the public of having firefighters who are mentally healthy and not sweeping things under the rug? Oh, I think things are working well up top and you can go about your daily business sort of at a higher level. Uh, if you've got some issues going on, I guess you're not going to perform 100%, which might be fine for, for nine times out of 10. But if things aren't quite quite right in someone's head and then you go to a, a job that could remind remind them of, of, of an issue or of a past experience and then that could all of a sudden manifest into something big right there and then and have become an issue itself. So is there much happening in the proactive space? Because the fire care and things seems to be if after something has happened or if after you're feeling stressed, you can go and get support. Is there much happening in the proactive space to sort of help guys get mentally healthy before they get on to oh, jobs? I think it's more fire care side of things. Is try, you know, they try and promote it. Uh, like when you go through your recruit course, that's part of it. You know, they'll have someone come in and talk about it, that, it, that it's there and try and take away any stigma that there might be with regards to talking about something. So they're trying to, I guess, trying to plant the seed that it's in the, from the get-go, trying to plant the idea that it's okay to talk about it into your career. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's the benefit then of, I mean, if we talk about it's not weak to speak, for example, that's kind of thrown around. Mm -hmm. If 
what is the benefit of the peer support network versus a group of psychs versus your family? Mm. Like, what is it that makes that group so special? Oh, I guess it, you know, if you've got someone who knows what you do for a job as, and they can relate to your experiences a lot better. And these days too, it's not quite the case of when you finish work, you, you know, you, you just finish work and go home and you leave everything at work. I mean, there's updating chat groups now out there in Messenger where, you know, there might be a little chat group for a particular station. So even on their days off, they'll participate in some sort of yeah, banter or communication or whatever. So everyone's might go home, but you're still in contact with everyone. So that camaraderie is still there even yeah. on your days off. So what sort of support is in place for, and whether there is, because in my mind, Yes, there's what you've just said. So there's the stuff at work, there's the peer support, there's the psychs, there's the groups um, of support for <laughs> the fireys themselves and within the groups and the camaraderie and all that sort of stuff. So that's very team-oriented. What sort of support is there for the families? Because they would want to support you and love you and hear about what you're doing, but there would be things that you can't tell them, things that you can't share with them or don't want to or don't feel comfortable or you want to protect them. So it's not like you can go into the nitty gritty. Like, how do you manage that? Because without having them feel excluded. Yes, you might just have to water down your stories a little bit. Don't go into the nitty gritty detail because you might you might have seen some nasty things and it sort of doesn't become normal, but you're maybe not even desensitised to it. But yeah, I wouldn't go into telling anyone outside of the, the job too much. I wouldn't go into any nitty gritty detail of it. For them, they don't see those type of things. So what sort of supports are in place for, I mean, can the families access fire care? You know what I mean? Like if, if let's say a wife's saying my husband's a fiery and he's starting to drink a lot and I think there's something going on. There there is is, um, support available, Leanne. Uh, The Queensland Fire and Emergency Service does have support available for, for example, partners or spouses. There are there are uh, fire care opportunities there or opportunities through fire care there as well. It's it's obviously of necessity got some limitations to it, but the example that you've just used, um, they can actually contact the QFES and there will be some support provided through the fire care system for the type of uh, example. Yeah, gotcha. Just used, but it, it is true to say that. Um, because each of the firefighters is individual and each of the spouses or partners are individual as well, in as much as some firefighters find it beneficial to talk about the incident they've been to when they get home, but mostly in a very limited way, as Steve has said, they won't go into the but they will talk about it with their spouse or their partner. Um, Likewise, some spouses and partners want to hear about it. Yeah, gotcha. And some don't. And, and sometimes that's a point of conflict or, or, or um, friction there if you've got a spouse that wants to talk about it and one doesn't or one doesn't want to talk about it and the other one does. That too yeah. can be. So as Steve was saying for recruit course, sometimes, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but they also now, if the families want to come in and listen to the uh, fire care and the uh, peer support process, families can come in or spouses and partners can come into the, that particular session of the recruit course and listen in and gain an insight into what's available for their 
husband or wife that's a firefighter and ask yeah. questions as well. There is also um, uh, firefighters that have had fairly significant uh, post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. circumstances that then go back into the fire service and provide um, training and support um, for both the recruit firefighters and existing firefighters for a range of seminars and presentations, etc. Yeah. And I'm wondering maybe there are groups out there, Stephen, for the spouses, like there are fly-in, fly-out spouse groups. Um, there may be groups that are all the, what is it, wives and girlfriends of fireys who, yeah. <laughs> or partners. Yeah, exactly. The partners of fireys who sort of go, oh, okay. And they can support each other in a way. Because you guys do go. You, you go on two days, two nights. You're home for four days. You go on two days. Like, or you're out on assignment. That, that would be a, a world in itself to navigate. So what sort of things then? Because we've talked a lot about the support available for Queensland Fire. We've talked about support available with teams and things, what is it that fireys can do for themselves? Like what are the sorts of things that can really amp up resilience or get guys and girls to take better care of themselves so that maybe they are that little bit more resilient, mentally healthy? I think maintaining a healthy lifestyle is pretty important. I think on each shift we are allocated time to, they call it wellness, but do a workout in the gym or, you know, sit on the rowing machine or something like that. And I think these days everyone's pretty aware of what's a good diet and not a not so good diet, you know. So, I mean, I'm not saying that everyone's a fitness freak, but I think there is an awareness there that you to be healthy, you have to be able to exercise and eat reasonably well. I mean, we're not always like that. Um, but I think starting with just being healthy physically also, that'll help you on the mental side of things too, I think. So just at a station level, keeping up your fitness definitely helps. Yeah, is drinking culture changing in the fires? I'd I'd say it has. I mean, I'm only going off the stories I hear of the good old days, but I think (laughs) the good old days were were very similar across a lot of jobs, like the good old days of television. You know, there was pretty heavy drinking culture way before I started. From the way I see it, I think the drinking culture generally is a bit better these days than what it would have been 30 years ago. Graham, what, what's your experience? I think Steve's hit the nail on the head there. When, when I joined, as I mentioned before, Leanne, you had, uh, it was all male for a start and it was a different culture back then in society as well as in the fire service. It certainly was in the fire service. You had, as I mentioned before, you had some fairly hard um, characters that had come out of, you know, come out of the previous conflict around the world. So there were lots of issues um, on and off the job, I suppose, with alcohol. And it was certainly one of the things that that was hard to come to grips with. But absolutely, from my experience over those 41 years, the drinking culture changed just dramatically. Absolutely. And and part of that came about with what Steve's talking about. The, The firefighters coming through today, although I would have said when I joined, I was fit, I was healthy, I might not have eaten all the right things. I certainly drank. Today, the physical fitness side, and um, Steve was down at Roma Street Fire Station for many years, um, as was I, and I can tell you that the guys and the girls down there at the Roma Street Fire Station, I'd walk across that 
the drill yard or the mm. station yard in the mornings and the afternoons and see these people working out. They are just great athletes. And the bottom line is you do have to be a great athlete to be a firefighter. You've got to be physically fit, mm. mentally and physically. And, and I'm just thinking of the fire down in Coronation Drive where two of the firefighters breathing apparatus had run out and if they hadn't have been great athletes their lives their lives were at risk but they may not have survived that fire when their, their um, breathing apparatus sets were running out on them in this particular fire it was because they were so fit and healthy that they're still alive today yeah and i think that that adds to the reassurance that we have as the public of going the people who's who would be responsible for and put their lives on the line to save my life, my house, my dog, my kid. I want them to be mentally healthy. I want them to be physically healthy because like Steve said before, it's the better you are mentally healthy, the better you can take care of yourself and then take care of me. But also the better you are physically, the better you... So I feel as the public, I feel much more reassured knowing that that is a priority and it's it's getting away from this sweep it under the rug drinking culture <laughs> because I don't want them rocking up to my house. <laughs> so what's it like then? Because you guys, I guess, are in a little bit of a, a unique position compared to, let's say, the police and the paramedics. It might just be the icing on the cake, but everybody waves at a fire truck. Kids go up and I've seen kids and mums just <laughs> start turning into babbling idiots around fireys because you have this larger-than-life superhero persona. What is that like? And is that something that has to be managed, especially when you're coming away from jobs? You're right. I think the, the big red truck certainly does get a lot of attention. And I think we try and use that to keep people's image of the Fire Brigade positive, you know, that's why we've got stickers to give out to the kids and that sort of thing. We're trying to create that image that or keep that image going that we're there to help and we're friendly people. And and it's adding that humanity to it. So I guess it's twofold. The first one is it's important for you guys to do it. I think like if you see a kid on the side and he's telling you to toot the horn and you toot the horn and it makes their day, does it get exhausted constantly having to be the nice on-show guy who's who's nice to kids, and or is there a benefit to to that? I think I don't find it tiring. I don't think anyone sort of yeah finds that sort of hard work. And oh, I guess the, yeah, the benefit is that it has helps keep that trust going with the community. That yeah, that we're there, that we're there to help. And there's yeah, I don't see any downsides to it. Where do you think that's come from? Because people don't seem to react the same to ambulance or <laughs> police yeah. officers the way they do to fireys. Like, what is yeah. that? Oh, I think, it, I, I don't know, maybe because, yeah, Fireman Sam, you've got a lot of yeah. kids, you know, when they grow up, there's a lot of stuff to do with big red fire trucks and which works in our favour. So it's been like that for a long time. But. Do you find as well, because the paramedic, uh, Tammy, the paramedic that I was talking to was saying there's a lot of, not misinformation, but people thinking that they're experts now in ambulance stuff. Do you get that as much in the fiery world where the public are trying to do your job for you? No, I don't, I don't think so. No, I, I think, I think well, one thing that the 
public does get wrong quite often is that we're just a big red truck that puts out fires. And some people remember that, oh, that's right, we they do go to car accidents as well. But they do, the public does tend to forget that all the other type of incidents that we go to, as well as a lot of the uh, preventative side of firefighting that we undertake, like we're inspecting the maintenance of buildings with regards to the fire services and yeah, there's lots of departments within the fire brigade that people wouldn't be aware of that we we do. Yeah, okay. And the fire, it's got a pretty good reputation, I think, these days of managing big uh, events like you know when the big cyclones and that sort of come in. Our management process handles that pretty well, I think. Yeah, because normally what I do at the end of these, I go, "Hey, what would you like the public to know?" So apart from that your job is bigger than I guess we have an appreciation for. Is there anything else that the public can do to help you guys, support you guys that would be beneficial? Oh, no. I mean, it's, it's nothing different to what the police and ambulance might might like the public to do and drive a little bit more carefully on the roads. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because, that you know, a lot, of, a lot of the incidents we go to, the other agencies are there as well. So the AMBOs and the police. We all attend many incidents together. Yeah, I think I'm sure we'd all like that public to uh, behave in a similar way. Yeah. What about you, Graham? Is there anything that you'd like our millions of listeners to know about the fireys? <laughs> uh, well, look, just quickly going back to that issue about that response to firefighters, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that firefighters are held in such high regard, um, almost in a heroic um, mm. concept, on some occasions, is that the police, although they do lots of similar things to firefighters, they can also be, they've got a downside to their role that they play. In other words, people could think they're baddies mm. if they're doing the wrong thing. For the AMBOs, the AMBOs, although they do many similar things as well, they aren't seen as the rescuers, gotcha. as the heroes. So there's very little downside, very little down for firefighters because Generally speaking, they help people the same as the AMBOs. They um, are there to bring order out of chaos, mm-hmm. similar to the police. So they're kind of, each society needs some kind of aspirational, heroic Gotcha. Group. We need our knight in shining armour. Yes, you need the, the knight in shining armour. So the fire service fulfils that role quite nicely. And that's why the firefighters, and I think, Steve, you'll agree with me on this, the reputation of a firefighter, is paramount. Mm. If, if another firefighter brings the firefighters down with a bad action, it affects every single firefighter. It affects the whole reputation for every individual firefighter and the organisation. That's why we protect that, that reputation so strongly because it is this great organisation that most of us uh, love to work within and the community agree with that and there is some evidence that the community needs that knight in shining oil. Uh, maybe in uh, shining armour as well these days, yeah. So what would you, Graham, given that you're now retired and you're helping the guys who are coming through and helping the guys who have also retired, what's your advice for the guys and girls who are in the fire service? Like what sort of things can they be doing now to improve their mental health, improve their longevity, improve all that sort of stuff? Like what have you learned on the on the flip side that you would want the younger crews to know? It's a really good question, Leanne. That's a really good question. The one that I'm still coming to grips with 
Uh, one of the questions that I ask uh, retired firefighters when I'm doing interviews with them is, what would you say to yourself, to your young self joining the fire service on how to do exactly what you said, how to prepare yourself mentally and throughout your time in the career? And, and some of it is institutional stuff that the organisation can help firefighters with and some of it's stuff that the firefighters can help themselves. And so one of the questions I was asked recently in an interview by an external um, interviewer was um, how do firefighters deal with the community when the community, somebody in the community might be angry with you? And so it's that kind of the extra training that can be given to firefighters on how to deal with the people that they're interacting with um, yeah. The more deeper emotional, empathetic side of things that firefighters can learn yeah. and can then use. And so, for example, when I was asked that question about anger, the answer, because it was a specific case that was being put to me, is anger is generally about the past. And so when somebody's being angry with you, you your mental frame ought to be not only protecting yourself immediately physically, but also, why is this person so angry? What's mm. making them angry? Yeah. Not, re not reacting to their anger with either your anger or dismissive yeah. or with your own emotion. I think you mentioned that a little bit earlier yourself. So it's teaching firefighters how to respond to the highly emotional aspects yeah. of the organisation. That's both with the people they're dealing with externally and internally. Yeah. And yeah, being, absolutely. Being forgiving and flexible internally and externally with the emotions that um, yeah. quite often peak and, and troughs in the fire service as emergency services. So that's one of the it. things that I do and have done. So I have empathy training um, and I now do that online. So I've got an online course that's coming out and it teaches people how to manage emotions and or how to be aware of emotions and how to make somebody feel heard and valued. But I also have another business that's called lose your mind empathy training and it uses virtual reality to give people an insight into what it's like to have a severe mental illness and then get them to think about their approach now i took that to the united states last year and fireys and police and magistrates and psychs with huge number of people did it it was in iowa but one of the things that one of the key learnings from that for the fireys and the police especially was if somebody is mentally really struggling so they're having psychosis let's say they're more likely than anything to be afraid and but they'll appear angry and it's looking at your energy and going okay how do I approach somebody who I think is angry versus how do I approach someone who I think is terrified and that all comes back to emotional intelligence and self-awareness to go okay how do I respond and then that becomes our responsibility and it's like you were just saying when somebody tells you something that you sort of go where you think oh wow I don't know how to respond to that people can tend to get defensive or they shut down or they give them advice and so what I try to do in my training is say okay they're allowed to feel however they feel that has nothing to do with you your job is to make them feel valued make them feel important and then they'll tell you anything. So, yeah, it's that. And I don't think a lot of people realise that self-reflection and self-development and emotional awareness helps you help others. They think it, you've got to learn about them 
when in my opinion you've got to learn about yourself first and then you're in a better position to help other people. There's a fire in Cathedral Place a number of years ago. Quite a traumatic experience for um, a group of firefighters that were operating the aerial equipment, the extending arm aerial yep. equipment to go up and rescue three people trapped on a, um, a balcony. And those three people coincidentally went into the exact three types of responses. There's a fourth, but the three clear categories are fight, Sorry. flight, and yep. freeze. And each of those three people on the balcony went into one of those modes. Yeah, gotcha. And having the empathy with other human beings, the officer and the firefighter going up there knew better how to respond to each of those individual categories of human being conditions. And so having that kind of uh, relationship with yourself and with others helps in that kind of emergency circumstance. Now, can I just finish that story by saying <laughs> that there wasn't enough room on the platform the aerial platform to rescue them. So the officer stayed in that room, that burning room, yeah. the fire coming up his bum, and let those three people, which could only take those three yeah. people, they came down while he stayed there with that fire. He was in a very, very dangerous position. He ended up getting a, a, a bravery award for it, and so he should have too. But, not only did he handle or the crews handle that circumstance really well, but they also undertook an incredibly courageous. Yeah. It's, I guess, in my mind, it would be finding that balance between being in a situation and empathizing with the person and, and treating that individual because somebody in a car crash is afraid and they need their hand held and they need to be visible, not just dealt with. But, and so being able to be present in that moment for that person while also protecting yourself and not going too deep into it emotionally and not taking it home with you as well. So there's that that real skill. Do you guys do much training in that area? Yeah, I don't know if we really do practice that side of things, I guess. Or maybe we sort of unintentionally practice that when we conduct our drills and yep. training scenarios. But it is sometimes a bit hard to show empathy towards a mannequin or a dummy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but yeah. I think also... I think also Are you all, okay down there? You all right? <laughs> I mean, we do, we do practice all those things of, uh, you know, when you're approaching a mannequin or on the side of a building when, you, when you're conducting rope rescue that, yeah, you do... You, say all the things that you would say to a real person. Yeah. And so you sort of practice it in that way. But I think also those group discussions around the mess room table or when they inevitably move in the direction of war stories that, you know, that we've all been to. I think a lot of people, I myself, you can try and take a little bit out of that person's story and that person's story. Yeah. Um, you can then use it for yourself if you have to, uh, you know, a future incident that you may attend. If, if you've got that background knowledge. Yeah that's definitely going to help communicate with someone. Yeah, because it's that awareness too. I mean, you've got to wear two hats at the same time. You've got to have a very tactical, strategic, technical hat on of how is this situation being dealt with? What have we got to do? What have we got to cut? What have we got to... And with a real person in there who's genuinely probably terrified. So it's it's finding that balance because you can't do too much of the tending to the person because you may neglect the technical and you can't do too much yeah. of the technical because you may neglect the individual. 
I think, yeah, it's, there's a lot of things that come into play there. I think mm. um, that people describe it as, you know, especially for someone who might be making the decisions that they be like a duck swimming on a pond. You know, the duck mm. is a very calm above the water, but underneath the legs they're thinking like hell and that can be their brain trying to make up, right, what decision, of, of, you know, what's our best plan of action. But at the same time, they're trying to give off that persona that we're calm and we're under control and yeah. um, things are all good. And I think what makes... If your crew or the firefighters there, are, you know, if they know their gear, if they, they're confident with their skills, <clears throat> then that makes that decision making easier. Or well, if easier is as, as well, if you're a firefighter, if you're a bit unsure about something, how a certain bit of equipment works, then you're going to be having playing, that's going to be playing on your mind as well yeah. as trying to keep someone calm and make decisions. Yeah. So you sort of be half decent at your job, I guess, and have trust in yourself. And yep. then that makes the other stuff a little bit easier. And like well. I think, like you said before, when it comes together, that's the bit that you love as well is mm. when, when the people are taken care of, when the tactics and the technical and the strategic all come together for a successful outcome, that's the bit that you guys love about your job as well. Yeah, and then it's the opposite when, when equipment stop, doesn't work how it should work and... <laughs> Yeah. And you're, uh, yeah, you're all brainstorming how to get a piece of gear to work properly and um, that's when it can be a little bit stressful but when it, when it does go to plan, that's when it's yeah, a good day to be at work. All righty, guys. We've covered so much and I love it. So we've talked about the best bits, the worst bits, how to <laughs> help your colleagues, how to empathise with victims, how to help our families, the things that fireys can do to help themselves and really um, become resilient. And I think part of that is learning to self-identify emotions and emotions in others and really be part of that network that supports each other and believes in what it is that you're doing. And we've given advice to the fireys who are on, still on the tools or on shift and the guys who have retired. <laughs> we have covered a lot. But Graham, how do we? How do people find you? And what is it that you're doing now that could benefit listeners well, or buyers? They can get me through my website, um, <coughs> which is um, gtspeaks.com.au. And part of what I do now is uh, not only working with my fellow retired firefighters, but because I'm also a professional speaker, I'm using the the experiences through those 41 years of firefighting to help organisations and corporations. Um, make hopefully better decisions, good decisions through the wisdom of firefighting, the things that um, I and my colleagues have learned over the years from firefighting so that we can apply that right throughout um, the business world as well. Um, having been on a board and still am on a board, various types of boards, I know that the same principles that we apply in emergency circumstances can be applied in other circumstances to get good outcomes under those circumstances as well. So by all means, get in touch with me if they've got family members that would like uh, any discussions about any of the issues within the fire service for the firefighters leaving the fire service and going into retirement. Quite happy to talk to people and put them in touch with um, this collaborative group that we've uh, set up. And Leanne, just uh, quickly, one of the other things that we've set up with the firefighters is, is trying to map the fires that have occurred within, in particular at the moment, the Brisbane region. So taking the experiences of the firefighters and capturing them in the written word and the videos 
and the newspapers, the television reporting, putting them all together in a bubble for this particular fire so that all of the issues around it, the emotions, the people that were involved yeah. in the family of the fire, the neighbours, the cat, the dog, the, yeah. uh, the whole package for that particular fire, for every fire throughout the Brisbane region to start with, to be captured by retired firefighters and current firefighters. Wow, that's a, that's a big job. It's a big, big role, but there's lots of volunteers out there willing to that's wonderful. shoulder to the wheel as well. Yeah, that's powerful, isn't it? Because it's not, again, it's not just the technical, it's the people, the emotional, the stories around the fire. Yeah, wow. The, the emotion that's around at the moment, Leanne, children's at the moment, with yep. um, the man yep. and children's coming up for his parole. <clears throat> 20 years later, the emotions uh, through the fire service, through retired firefighters, police, ambulance, volunteer firefighters, the people in children's, all of those people from right around the world involved mm. those 82 people backpackers from around the world that are still suffering huge emotional issues from that one fire that's what almost every fire is like to a greater or lesser extent yeah wow and what's that one called what's that project called if people want to look that up it's the, the um, queensland fire mapping community fire mapping project Lovely. Well, I'm going to put all your details before. Stephen, you don't have a side hustle you'd like to uh, promote? <laughs> no, no. It has been an absolute joy speaking to both of you. Thank you so much. Stay well. Stay safe. Well, in particular, Steve, because he was feeling crook today. He had the flu, so I want to get that on record. So thanks, Steve. Yeah. 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 He's COVID-free, but he's, yeah. got, he's got the sniffles and we don't like that. That's it. <laughs> Actually, Thank you, Graham, Steve. you mentioned that... Um, the Childers fire. I was up in Ch- Childers for Channel Seven oh, when yeah. that all went down. So I, I wasn't. I wasn't there for the the fire itself. I went up a couple of days later when the story, I guess, turned towards more the the trying to track down the the chap that caused all the dramas. So yeah, we we're running all over uh, the country, countryside. Were you there when when they caught him, Steve? Yeah, I wasn't I'm, there. I was right up there on the day they caught him. It was an amazing experience. The whole town, it's amazing communication just spread rapidly through the whole town that they'd actually caught him, they'd found him. It was a, an amazing experience to be there. So you yeah, were actually up there doing filming. You might have filmed me doing some of it. Quite possibly, yeah. I remember we spent a lot of time when the big manhunt was on and then also a lot of time, like when I was there, there was uh, relatives of the victims had made their way to Childers and there was a lot of the those personal type stories going on in the in the town itself. Yeah, it was a quite an emotion, <clears throat> quite an emotional town for a while there. Yeah. Mm. But it's, yeah, still high emotion. And um Leanne, when I was mentioning about addressing the anger mm. from that particular incident and uh, I don't know whether I had to mention it to you, Steve, but when, when I was walking down the path just outside the community hall where the mayor was situated, one of the parents of one of the victims stopped me in the middle of the path, and there was a lot of TV cameras around at the time, um, and because she was so distraught over her son dying, she was literally, because I was representing the fire service there in front of her, she just she completely lost it and the yeah. anger and a vitriol coming out towards the fire service for oh. not saving her son. It was oh. like full on right in front of me. 
but it was understandable as well. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and just standing there absorbing what she was saying. I mean, she was bawling her eyes out, she was screaming, she was yelling. Yeah. You know, she was affected by the sounds and sirens for the whole time. And uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's high, under- high emotion, high emotion up there. And it's it's having that awareness that it's not about you. Yeah. That's her yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not a personal. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much, guys. That was fantastic. I learned a lot. Good to catch up, Steve, and we'll catch up down the track. Yeah, sounds good. All right, thanks, Leanne. So that was Empathy and Firefightings. Thank you so much to Graham and Stephen for that chat. Uh, we did cover a lot about mental health and ex- and different experiences and what we can all do to better support our fireys and what our fireys can do to better support themselves, their mental health and that of their peers and co-workers. Thank you so much, guys. As always, if you'd like to know more about empathy training and really strengthening your empathy muscle, you can go to empathyfirst.com.au. My name's Leanne Butterworth and that is the Empathy Podcast. Thank you.